Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. We've received word that survivors of the Lucasville Uprising are on hunger strike. In what supporters say is clear retaliation during the 25th anniversary of the 1993 uprising, the Ohio State Penitentiary Administration rolled back communication access and possibly other conditions exclusively for the survivors of the Lucasville Uprising. Supporters wrote us to say that the policy change seems to have impacted Sadiq Hassan, Greg Curry, Jason Robb, Namir Mateen, James Ware, Keith Lamar, and possibly others. Some of these prisoners were actively reaching out to media regarding the 25th anniversary of the uprising, and others weren't. Some are on special, quote-unquote, 5A long-timer status, something the prison invented to keep them at OSP indefinitely, and others are at lower security levels. The common thread is that they're all survivors of the uprising. The move took place late Friday afternoon so that supporters would be unable to call the prison for more information or to reverse the policy until Monday morning. They also say that over that weekend, admin assured the prisoners that the restriction would end Monday morning and was only imposed to prevent them from talking to the public about the anniversary of Lucasville, which is in itself a violation of the prisoners' rights. This turned out to be a lie and a delaying tactic. Phone and email access were not restored. In fact, the prison showed greater disregard on the prisoners' rights by denying a legal call. Keith, Hassan, and Jason started a hunger strike on Tuesday, April 24th, demanding restored access. A new captain on the block has been threatening to return long-timer privileges back to how it used to be. That might refer to conditions before a series of hunger strikes that won increased contact visitation, phone access, access to the law library, congregate recreation, JPEG kiosk access for email and video visits, and less restrictions on books and music. Supporters are not sure at this time which of the conditions have changed. Greg Curry is not on long-timer status, but his communication access is restricted. Monday, he regained his phone access, but he still has no email. Last month, he was scheduled to transfer out of the institution. Then, the administration canceled the transfer without explanation and at the last minute. Four of these restricted prisoners, Greg, Hassan, Keith, and Jason, are litigants in a media access lawsuit which has been making gains in court and had a hearing on Wednesday, April 25th. This restriction may have been an attempt to punish or deter the prisoners from suing the ODRC. We'll have more updates as things unfold, but supporters do say you can call OSP at 330-743-0700 and press 0 to speak with Warden Bowen. According to Prison Legal News, a recent report by the U.S. Sentencing Commission found that in spite of the fact that federal sentencing guidelines are intended to promote uniformity of sentencing across geographic and socioeconomic lines, black defendants are still receiving longer sentences than white defendants for similar crimes. The report found that black men received sentences that averaged 19% longer than white men did during the period 2012 to 2016, as they had for the previous four study periods. The report also found that the gap between sentence lengths for black and white men was widening. Fox.com reported that a study published by the University of Michigan Law School concluded that prosecutors' initial charging decisions were a major determinant of racial disparities in sentencing. All else being equal, black men arrested were 70% more likely to face mandatory minimum sentence than white men arrested. 
The commission's report noted that women of all races received significantly lower sentences than men convicted of similar crimes. The Texas Observer reported that according to a new report by the Texas Criminal Justice Coalition, blatant gender disparities in the Texas prison system exist in terms of academic and job certification opportunities. Men incarcerated in Texas can earn as much as a master's degree while in prison, but women are offered only an associate's degree. The Texas prison system offers men 21 job certification programs, from construction carpentry to automotive technology to data processing, horticulture, and substance abuse counseling. Office administration and culinary arts and hospitality management are the only offerings for women. Lindsay Linder, a policy attorney with the coalition, says the disparity demonstrates how a male-dominated criminal justice system ignores the needs of incarcerated women. Linder says that besides limited job certification and college degree programs, incarcerated Texas women have less access to technical education courses and rehabilitation programs than men do. A new report entitled The Prison Industrial Complex, Mapping Private Sector Players from the Corrections Accountability Project of the Urban Justice Center, has found that over 3,100 companies make profits through contracts with the prison industrial complex in the U.S. The corporations cover 12 sectors, including construction, healthcare, telecommunications, and food and laundry services. As Color Lines put it, quote, they all, knowingly or unknowingly, service a system that disproportionately incarcerates Black, Latinx, and Native people, unquote. The report demonstrates the hugeness of the prison industrial complex and sheds light on its diverse corporate participants to enhance the public's understanding of the commercialization of justice beyond only the private prison giants, CoreCivic and the GEO Group. The report says that there are thousands of publicly traded, private equity-owned, and privately held companies that create profits through the criminal legal system to the detriment of low-income and minority communities. Ramona Africa sent us the following announcement about the potential parole of the Move 9 in Pennsylvania. She writes, The fact that the Move 9 are 10 years past their parole minimum is a clear indication that parole officials do not have the interest of what's right at hand. More so, the interest of the Fraternal Order of Police is at hand. The interest of the Fraternal Order of Police, along with the system and its officials, is to keep Move in prison until they die. People can look no further than the examples of both Merle and Phil Africa, who both died in prison after decades of unjust imprisonment. The pressure has been on the Pennsylvania Parole Board the last 10 years, and now it's coming to a head over the issue of the Move 9. Governor Tom Wise has ran back and forth the last three years trying to save face with the image of the Parole Board after being exposed in areas where the governor and the Parole Board could not afford to be exposed. These parole denials have nothing to do with the issue of innocence, because our people's innocence has been proven since the day of their arrest until the day that they were sentenced to 30 to 100 years. This is nothing more than a vendetta against people that took a stand and fought against a system that's been wrong through and through. This is the reason why the Move 9 are being held hostage by parole boards guided by law enforcement across the country. The work continues, and the pressure is going to stay on the officials. For more information, you can visit onamove.com. An Alabama police officer shot and killed 16-year-old Adante Washington, but the officer went free while Washington's friend, Lakeith Smith, who was 15 at the time, was tried as an adult. Convicted of felony murder, 
burglary and theft, and sentenced to 65 years in prison. Both teenagers and a group of friends were breaking into a house when the killing by the police officer took place. The sentence stems from an Alabama law called the Accomplice Liability Law, which permits the state to charge people with murder if a death occurs while they are committing another crime, even when someone else did the actual killing. Smith received the 65-year sentence after he rejected a plea deal that would have granted him a 25-year sentence. 30 years of the sentence was for murder when Smith murdered no one but simply was present when a police officer killed his friend. The 2018 Fight Toxic Prisons Convergence will be held in Pittsburgh on June 8th to 11th. The gathering will be the third annual nationwide convergence of the Fight Toxic Prisons movement. The convergence will take place in Pennsylvania to highlight struggles led by prisoners and their allies across that state, including repeated instances of contaminated water, black mold, and toxic land adjacent to or directly below Pennsylvania's prisons. The state is also home to the world's best-known prisoner journalist, Mumia Abul-Jamal, and political prisoners from the MOVE organization, who have long advocated for organizing at the intersection of prisons and ecology. Pennsylvania has been the site of many prisoner-led struggles against mass incarceration, for prisoners' rights, and for environmental justice. The convergence will draw from the experiences of both urban areas heavily targeted by the police state and remote regions that have been turned from coal company towns to prison towns. The venue location and schedule are to be announced. This week, we start in on the topic of Are Prisons Obsolete? Over the next couple of KiteWine episodes, we'll be sharing the words and writings of prisoners, many of whom have been featured on previous episodes, and their responses to Angela Davis's book, Are Prisons Obsolete? For context, the Abolition Study Sessions are a new political education program out of Indianapolis that invites all people interested in fighting against mass incarceration, the prison industrial complex, and policing to join them in studying and discussing the theory and history of prison abolition and struggles against the carceral system. At the beginning of each month, the group makes copies of texts to be studied, available to people incarcerated in Indiana, and they leave hard copies to be picked up and read by people on the outside. On the final Sunday of each month, the Abolition Study Sessions host a public discussion of the text, which includes commentary and questions provided by incarcerated comrades. The text for the recent Abolition Study Session was Are Prisons Obsolete? A Foundational Text About Prisons, written by Angela Y. Davis. The purpose of the Abolition Study Sessions is to collectively develop analytical tools necessary to seriously confront and dismantle the carceral system, and also to build stronger relationships with comrades who are incarcerated in Indiana and struggling against the system from the inside. Now, we'll hear a brief conversation on the book. This call is between Fahim, who is featured in some recent KiteLine episodes, and Kalfani Malik Khaldun, who is a long-term prisoner in the Indiana Department of Corrections. While the sound quality of recording prison phone calls is subpar, it does still seem important to share the insights of those on the inside who are trying to connect with us outside of prison walls. Additionally, you get to experience the jarring way that prison phone calls are unceremoniously interrupted and cut off during people's conversations. And now let's hear from Kalfani and Fahim. Hello, everybody. This is Brother Kalfani Malik Khaldun calling in from Wabash Valley Correctional Facility, Indiana Political Prison. Our Prisons Obsolete by Conrad Angela Y. Davis is a, a must-read refresher course for today's political activists 
who are challenging the politics of prison and organizing to abolish the entire prison industrial complex. Angela Davis exposes how prisons victimizes men, but women experience a triple layer of oppression. This oppression is due to the sexism of male chauvinistic officers who feel that they can have liberties with women once they are incarcerated, using power as a manipulator to take advantage of these women, affecting them in far greater and harmful ways than men and young boys. We as revolutionaries have a moral obligation to organize the mass movement in opposition to all oppression inside these prison plantations. I will work and devote my life and struggle alongside anyone who is willing to contact me and reach out to me along those lines. Solidarity with those Conrads who are not seeking reform, but the total destruction of capitalism and all systems fueling prisons that oppress us today. So I invite and welcome you to reach out to me in any capacity, on any level of activism, and I will share whatever political analysis that I can, can, can come up with and compare and share and engage in dialectical exchange in an attempt to understand how we can come about bringing down the destruction of U.S. prisons because we know that capitalism fuels these systems and with mostly predominantly white males dominating some of these prisons, they're definitely going to use sexism to manipulate women as well as men. So we have to abolish prisons. So in answering the question, are prisons obsolete? Prisons are obsolete, but we have to educate the people and the public why they're not not needed, because when you're dealing with black-on-black violence and high criminal rate, uh, crime rate in the inner cities, the public still feel that prisons are needed because there's nobody that they can turn to. Our organizations, our vanguards are no longer available. So this is where we come in at. When we come home, those of us that are politically grounded with a sound political philosophy as to what to do, what needs to be organized, and how to bring the people together, we are responsible for the movement that will be capable of the destruction and abolition of today's prison. We are the vanguard, and we can bring about the change needed, as well as educating the people in supporting our causes. So I, I encourage those of you who have not read Our Prisons Obsolete, please do so, because it is definitely a very powerful tool for those of us who are activists, who are politically aware, and who are becoming socially conscious. I have to agree with Angela Davis that prisons create more prisons because we're living in an age where those who are in control, those who have a mindset of controlling populations of people, they feel that the only way that they can continue to do this 
is incarcerate people. So in what in, in supporting what Angela Davis said, it does not destroy the crime uh, the, the high crime rate. It does not prevent the violence that we see taking place in the inner city. It does not prevent uh, the proliferation of drugs infiltrating our communities. It does not prevent uh, uh, the lack of education, you know. So it's not a preventative tool. It's a, it's a tool of destruction. And scientifically, there, there's plenty of documented and psychological proof that prisons have a tendency of driving people crazy. And they are continuously abusing the mentally ill by placing them in solitary confinement and units that they know have the tendency of debilitating and destroying people's minds. Also, it is causing people to commit suicide. So there is no prevention taking place. It is causing more destruction, and it's destroying people's lives. It's destroying the human and, and, and cultural fiber of our existence. As we keep moving, I feel like we need to destroy the prison. Because that's what Anthony Davis said in the book. She said we need to destroy these prisons and, and basically get society right and make it to where it can be more productive and positive for everybody out here because the prisons ain't doing no rehabilitation. They're steadily taking out the, the education. They're trying to kill you with the food, the soy food. People are getting high blood pressure, diabetes, everything, you know what I mean? Stuff that they yeah. come to prison with, they got it. So, so I'm yeah. a strong believer in everything as the David said in there, and I, I, I'm with you 100%, California. I would like to say another thing too, man. That one of the one of the things that she she really touches on in a lot of other materials, like the prison with uh, the struggle within the, the book called The Struggle Within. This piece does a great portrayal of how prisons continue to. Uh, uh, fragment families. So that's something that we got to really focus on too. When when you talk about the myth of rehabilitation, you talk about bringing people together. But how can you educate and rehabilitate when you are destroying families? When you are taking men, black men, young poor white men from their homes, from their families, and then sending them to prisons, wait. Two, three, four hundred miles away from their homes where their families are unable to visit them. That is one of the key points that we got to keep in mind. How could you say that the foundation and moral fiber of your prison system is to rehabilitate? First, we are the only ones that are capable of abilitating ourselves, not rehabilitating. We don't have to be rehabilitated. All we have to do is educate ourselves on how to not be victim of the prison system, continuously being caught up in the recidivism trap. You know, uh, we have to create alternative programs where instead of courts encouraging more prison or extended prison sentences, we as political prisoners, revolutionaries, and conscious men and women have to have organizations out there that people can come to. we got to have programs 
facilities that we can put people in, homeless people. We're talking about because a lot of homeless people are the ones that are committing crimes out there today. A whole lot of mentally ill people who are coming back from the military who are not being taken care of by the government. They are the ones that are committing crimes, and then they're throwing them in prison. And what ultimately happens is these people end up committing suicide because you keep being, you keep people in the cell 23, 24 hours a day. They're going to start cutting on themselves. They're going to start hurting themselves, and that is the reality of this so-called prison industrial complex. It is a monster. It is a, it is something that has to be destroyed, and we have to adamantly oppose the reproduction, building, and manufacturing of U.S. prisons and prisons all around the world. And that's real, California. And another thing I want to touch on, because some things that I just been brought to my attention, man, because they moving people to Colorado now. I didn't know that they moving people to Colorado underground, bro. You know what I mean? I for little, For little write-ups, I'm saying. Now, in, in the uh, Executive Directive 2012 says, if you have influence over the penitentiary, such as people that you know that I know, you see what I'm saying? But at the same token, for for people that's having phone cases or weed cases or SCGs, how you going to send them to Colorado? They wouldn't sentence to the state of Colorado. They were sentenced in the state of Indiana. How do you expect for their families to visit all the way to Colorado? You ain't paying for no plane tickets. You know what I mean? So we're going to try to figure out how we're going to demonstrate that measurement because that's way breaking constitutional prisoner rights, like on oh, so no many different it. levels. Ain't so no many about different. It. But but again, that is a system to keep the prisoner away from his family, destroying the family and discouraging the family to the point where they stop visiting and even having the desire to visit their loved ones. So who are they rehabilitating? They're not rehabilitating us. There have been so many programs that have been taken out of prison. To, to, to be specific, you had... Initially, you had the GED program. They just started incorporating it back, but they had took that out. The, the grants for guys who have completed their basic general education, who, have, who has had their GEDs and want to pursue college, college classes so that they can get their PhDs and various other little higher, higher learning degrees, they have destroyed the grants. They have taken away various meaningful, real mentoring programs, the, the programs where we could have our sponsors and our, the volunteer program, it's like they're making them jump through hoops to the point to meet their criteria to get in. So it won't happen. The whole objective is they don't want any programs available to us that ultimately empowers us with the skills to go out here and have trades so that if a business wants me and I go before the owner of this business, if I don't have the qualifications that that he feels would make him look good and represent his business, then I won't get a job. So they have meticulously took away the programs that gives you building trades, real good trades, real good you know, a survive, a, what they call it, social skills. That a lot of prisoners have a, have a real big problem communicating because of their inability to uh, 
uh, socialized. They they dealing with uh, depression. They dealing with anxiety. They dealing with schizophrenia. They they not really treating these guys. So if you don't have the programs in place to actually help these guys prior to release, then not only are you releasing potential monsters back to society, but you have prevented them from equipping themselves with the skills needed to coexist out there like a civilized human being and to be a productive asset to their various communities that they're going back to. You know, so so they have meticulously taken these programs out. And and it was another program I'm trying to think of. And you have one minute remaining. We got one minute remaining. Yeah, all I was gonna say was they didn't took out a little bit of everything, man. They didn't took out the ball state. They didn't took out the culinary arts. They didn't took out auto body, man. They didn't took out computer technicians. It's like it's like to the point to where. They don't want you to grow. They don't want you to learn. They don't want you to be productive. They don't want you to be positive. But everything negative they're doing, they want to bring the drugs in there. They want to bring yep. the stuff in here to, to, to deteriorate your mind. They don't give That's you right. anything else that you need, though. The police That's is right. the one bringing the stuff inside the prisons. You know what I mean? That's but they right. want to get up here and they want to try to antagonize us as if we're doing it. They got security watches in the visitor room. So how are we bringing anything in? Ain't no question. So, so my whole thing is, man, it's like every prison is different. That's another thing. Every prison is different. Every prison got something different. I've been to five prisons in the state of Indiana. Thank every you for one, using GTL. Everything was different, man. We'll hear more prisoner responses to the book in next week's episode, including an essay from Anastasia Schmidt, who's been featured on multiple episodes of KiteLine. We'd like to share some of Anastasia's initial thoughts as a closing to this week's episode. She writes, My pervading response to this book is unfortunately one of despair. The reason is prompted by the grim reality of its publication date, and subsequently, the publication dates of all the references that preceded this work. It weighs upon me to know how long we've been aware of these interconnected hegemonic power structures that have so grossly and vastly oppressed so many, now globally as well as nationally. And yet all of these issues and problems have only grown to epic proportions rather than being ameliorated or abolished in some way. It is in this space of awareness that I ask myself and challenge others to also ask, how and where have these hegemonic ideologies, racism, sexism, xenophobia, etc., been created? What sources solidify the perpetuation of these fallacious human hierarchical beliefs? And therefore, how can we come together to dismantle the things that reinforce those beliefs, which then thereby solidify the power structures that grossly harm and oppress their targeted populations? I've now been imprisoned for 17 years, years that precede the research and writing of this important book. Herein lies part of what is so distressing. Why is it that more people are not aware of the contents and context of this book 15 years later? to the extent that nothing has changed within these systems, only progressively worsened, only to grow to astronomical proportions. How do we collectively come together to bring a mass awareness, to open this dialogue to others who would never bother to so much as pick up a book of this type? We'll hear more from Anastasia on the book next week. This has been Kite Line. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. KiteLine wants your feedback. You can reach us via email at 
kitelineradio at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512 or you can use this number to record a message to a loved one behind bars. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. This has been KiteLine. Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. Thank you for listening.